Hey, podcast listeners, this is Charles Chandler. This is last week in December, and we're up to episode number 48 in our podcast series. We're going to be delving back into the archives to very start of our podcast series number three, broadcast in February of 2016. It's all about management in the visual and performing arts. Enjoy. Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today I'm pleased to bring you an episode on non-governmental organizations. We'll be talking about the Hill Country Arts Foundation, which is a center for the visual and performing arts founded in 1959 in the Texas Hill Country, about 70 miles west of San Antonio. I'm joined by phone by David Howard, who's the executive director of the foundation. Tell us a little bit about the Hill Country Arts Foundation for someone that, that has no, uh, no association with it, that has never been there. Oh, I'll, I'll give you a, a kind of a, a, a sh- short dissertation of what we have been doing uh, for many years. It started uh, back in about, I think it's 1956. Uh, uh, in the uh, Hill Country. It's uh, in Ingram, Texas, which is located uh, probably about 10 miles uh, out of Kerrville, Texas, uh, which is then located uh, about 60 miles out of San Antonio. Uh, It was started by a group of people out of Houston uh, that came as looking for kind of an art community where uh, they could uh, gather and have both uh, performing theater but also visual arts, and that's kind of how this all got started. Uh, there was an old skating rink on this particular property, and it was located at the uh, a kind of a junction on about 13 acres, but on a junction of where the Guadalupe River and Johnson uh, Creek uh, came together. Uh, this, thus, they named it both the Hill Country Arts Foundation, but it, it then eventually became known as The Point, and The Point meaning where the two rivers come together. It's a beautiful uh, location out here, and over the 56 years, it has expanded with uh, new buildings, uh, new gallery, uh, new teaching areas, uh, a huge new theater that was built back in uh, about the middle 80s that is uh, that would uh, basically was mimicked after the Majestic Theater in San Antonio, uh, and at that point it cost over a million dollars, and uh, it was it was quite a uh, project of raising that amount of money to do that, and we are still putting on uh, outdoor outdoor productions uh, as we speak today. In fact, uh, you know we have another coming up in the summertime, of course, and in the wintertime we do productions on a black box on the indoor. Uh, but uh, again, uh, we we have been continually expanding little by little. It's all by volunteers and by memberships. Uh, and again, it is a nonprofit. We try to make a profit to keep our doors open, and so far we've been successful. And uh, that's uh, kind of where we are today. And hopefully, we'll be here another 56 years. Just to kind of set the stage there uh, and and recap what you said, I think. You're on a 14-acre site on the banks of the Guadalupe River in Ingram, Texas, in the Texas Hill Country, and you have an outdoor theater, an indoor theater, uh, an art gallery, and some other facilities there. And all of these uh, are sort of a legacy from the past, which goes back all the way to the 50s. And certainly uh, there, there's a, a desire to 
maintain and build on that legacy. How do you address the, that legacy from the past and, and still deliver something relevant to the present and, and the future? I think at all times we, we're always trying to uh, keep in mind the, the intent of the founders of our uh, corporation and what their intent uh, was. And like any organization, that, that, uh, that uh, uh, viewpoint varies some, but we always seem to kind of come back to, to, to trying to see what our intention is, and we try to stay that course. And, and that course really is, is to present a family-oriented uh, uh, performing arts program uh, and at the same time uh, having a visual arts program uh, that is, you know, keeps in tune with what the public wants, uh, but still being able to maintain as a business, as is in, you know, uh, whether it's pro for profit or non profit, it's still a business and trying to, you know, again, the theory about keeping our doors open uh, to make sure that we can still provide the services that we, that we feel that the community wants and still matches with what the founders would have wanted us to have. To have both visual arts and performing arts is very unusual, and I'm not sure what the exact statistics are, but I, I think you would find very, very few uh, organizations that support both visual arts and performing arts under one roof or under one corporation. That's very rare, I know, in Texas and probably throughout the whole United States. Uh, so it's a very unusual organization, but we so far we've been able to, to maintain that for quite a few years. Yeah, so the... The visual side of it, that's the art gallery and the uh, ceramics um, uh, workshops and various other um, classes and educational uh, events that you have, uh, whereas the performing arts uh, deals with your theaters and, and the live performances that you, you have at several times during the year. So I, I, I do take your point that, um, uh, number one, you've got to be uh, profitable in a sense. You have to have a surplus uh, the money coming in has to uh, balance your books and and keep you keep the doors open. Tell us a little bit about how you how you gain revenue uh, these days. In other words, uh, certainly you have your performances, but what what other sorts of income? I, I probably our, our what we what we push the largest is actually just memberships uh, to our organization. So we certainly uh, we have members uh, that are. Uh, very large in our visual arts, and they want to make sure that our visual arts program are, is maintained. And we have other people that are uh, stronger in our performing arts, and they want that to maintain. And others, just in general, uh, have uh, wanted just the overall organization. So we push the memberships uh, to be sure, and our memberships are reasonable. So we go more on volume than just having a just a few members to sustain the uh, entire organization. And then after that, it really does become and run a lot like a business. Uh, we certainly try to sell as many tickets as we possibly can. In order to do that, we're like any other business. Uh, we have to have a product to, to sell. People don't buy tickets to something that doesn't have quality. So uh, we, we spend a lot of time uh, making sure that we have a product, uh, a good product to sell. And uh, of course, in our gallery, um, we do have gallery uh, different ways of, of uh, of having income in our gallery section as far as uh, there are times, there are programs where different artists can pay uh, to have booths and stuff in, in a, a gallery show. Uh, there's also uh, areas where uh, the um, 
a fundraiser for a gallery would be having where people can buy tickets to a gala and uh, so and then there's also educational programs people can purchase uh, uh, education uh, seminars where they would come and learn different parts of our visual uh, arts and so and, and also of course in our ceramics too we have the only uh, ceramics program in several counties in our area too and it's a very large program and some excellent artists in our area too so uh, uh, so basically that that's like I say it's it's kind of the the way that we have you know, we also have an auxiliary uh, a ladies auxiliary uh, that uh, does uh, several programs to earn different types of monies that they donate or buy certain particular items that we may need uh, so that again it's it's pretty much like a little business that we run we have a gift shop also uh, that we sell to tourists that come through uh, either during our shows or even during the summertime uh, when they'll come in to uh, see what we have out here at, in our, on our campus. We also have some type of festivals occasionally throughout the year where people will come out and rent our space. We have a large space and a beautiful area, so they'll come out and have their, uh, you know, their annual festival out here, and they will pay for the space to do that also. When, when you talk about quality, and that's, that was a theme that uh, you mentioned uh, at the beginning there, how do you think about that in a sense? Uh, certainly you have productions that have been put on in the past, and you know based on the historic record there how many people showed up for those things and, and the kind of response you got. When you put on a new play, of course, it's, it's an unknown in a sense, until it becomes something that your audience sees and they can react to. So I'm guessing you have a mixture of old favorites that you bring on from time to time and then some new, perhaps innovative, uh, more edgy works that, that might come in, in some innovative uh, way. In fact, that's exactly right. We... Uh Again, like I say, our whole purpose is to to satisfy the 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 you know the desire of the community and certainly the community that 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 will buy the tickets to come out. There are other theaters in our area, so we actually have competition. It's not uh, we're not the only theater company in town, so we do have to uh, be very careful about uh, what type of productions that we put on and what what those shows are as they relate to what the community needs are. Uh, but we always do try. We find out that people do like the classics, uh, whether they're Roger and Hammerstein type of Oklahoma or South Pacific, uh, you know, these types of shows that people know. Uh, we have in the years have experimented on, like you said, some edgy type of programs. Uh, some have gone over, you know, fairly well. Others have not. So we're beginning to learn. And again, it's taken years and years of experimentation uh, to find out what the general public would want. And uh, we do take surveys. We just got through with a survey probably about two months ago uh, where we asked the public what type of uh, uh, shows they would like to see, and we take that very seriously, uh, and we take that to our art, I mean, our theater committee, and uh, they analyze that, and they use that uh, uh, to make determinations on what our next program will be for in this case, for uh, 2017. So, uh, but uh, it, it, it's amazing that in our area, it's a very conservative area, that actually the old classics are really the ones that seem to um, to win out each time. We always seem to, we really do try to have at least one uh, show that is, like you said, is the word edgy, I guess, 
that is still at least family-oriented, but perhaps more on the drama side or more experimental side, so that there's something for everybody uh, uh, that can come out and see that. Every two years, we do put on a Shakespeare, uh, and we actually do that outside. We have a special area. Uh, we have a, a replication of uh, Stonehenge uh, on our campus, and we set that up uh, to do a Shakespeare show, and that is always well attended, both by the general public, but also all the uh, schools in our area will bring their students out to see it, uh, for them to see Shakespeare live. And uh, that, that's gone over very well, too. So, uh, it, it, But it really is. It's pretty well run pretty much by what the public is asking for, uh, Chuck. And that's, uh, we, we try to meet those requirements each year. And uh, hopefully we're doing a good job. Talk a little bit about competition. Certainly an, in, an NGO exists within an environment. And the, the environment changes over time. Certainly when Hill Country Arts Foundation started back in the 50s, some of the newer theaters that are now present in the Kerrville area uh, were not there. So perhaps there has the, the competitive landscape has come more crowded over time. Talk to us a little bit about the, the competition and what you see in the environment as far as um, other opportunities that might compete with, with your offerings. The, uh, and that's also a very good observation. When I first arrived on the scene as basically a volunteer. Uh, it was in uh, pretty much the early 80s, so that was like 30 years ago. And uh, we were pretty much at that time the only legitimate, you know, full-scale uh, theater of performing arts uh, in probably the entire county. And over the years, uh, that's changed a little bit, and other theaters have kind of developed and disappeared. Uh, and the... Uh, there's one uh, a large, larger theater that is developed, uh, although they kind of specialize in different types of performing arts. A lot of theirs uh, bring in uh, outside acts, which is fantastic. They do a really, really nice job. I enjoy going and attending that. But those are where you see performances that are actually paid to come in, and uh, uh, their tickets are a little bit more expensive and so on. But they, uh, but they, they, they filled a void that we did not have. Uh, we also have some uh, children's uh, programs here, uh, but there was a need. Uh, there's a Salvation Army, uh, a thing called a Croc Center here in our area. Uh, they are much more heavily concentrated in children's uh, theater, and they too have a separate program almost exclusively for children, and that's a great program too. So they too have kind of filled a void that they felt like was needed. But as far as just straight out, uh, just outdoor, uh, you know, live performing arts theater for general community, and again, I didn't mention before, is that everything out here is volunteer. That's everything from the director to the choreographer to all the actors to the stagehands. Uh, these all people are volunteering, and uh, they do an excellent job doing that, and they enjoy it. It's it's a it's a it's a, an enjoyable hobby to them, but at the same time, they are promoting the arts, you know, in our area. So there is more competition than we've had in the past, but I think there's enough room for everybody, and I say everybody kind of sticks with their own particular niche, and uh, we kind of stay within our niche, and and they pretty well stay in theirs. So in a sense, over time, you create your niche uh, based on the feedback you get from the community and, 
and the new initiatives that that uh, either find acceptance or perhaps don't, and then they're eliminated from the the roundtable. That's true, because like I say, it's uh, whether you're for profit or non profit. Uh, the theory of business does not change. It's a, it's a, it's either supply and demand, or the you know the the uh, the, the business will survive uh, if they can um, uh, sell to the what the public needs are. And it, the public sometimes do not care whether you're nonprofit or not. Uh, they're going to buy the product that they want to. So we we as nonprofit have to uh, abide by what their demands are. And if we don't, uh, we won't survive. I always say that uh, you know organizational effectiveness is about converting supply side intentions of the organization into demand side behavior, where you either get acceptance or rejection of what you're offering. To the extent that you pay attention to all of that, it it gives you perhaps the most uh, immediate uh, feedback on on how well you're doing. But right, and very simplistically saying, we can follow the fast food change um, the multi-trillion dollar uh, companies and uh, you can see how they change very quickly by experimenting. If it doesn't work with the community, they change very rapidly and sometimes uh, organizations, profit and non-profit, should take, you know, heed uh, on what the the big boys do and uh, understand that they they need to follow what the public wants uh, so that their own organizations are not hurt. So, Anyway, so it, it, it is a, it's an observation of what you just said is very true. Talk to us a little bit about the replica of Stonehenge that you have on the site. Uh, I know there's a history to it. It draws its own following from not only the community but around the country and around the world uh, that come to visit Stonehenge too. Yeah, in fact, it's 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 kind of a phenomenon I, I, that uh, it, it's kind of manifested itself that. Uh, that I didn't see coming, and I don't think anybody else did either. But uh, there was a gentleman, a big supporter of the Arts Foundation. His name was Al Shepard, and uh, he owned land outside of Hunt, and that's not too far from Ingram. Uh, and uh, he, it, it, for some particular reason, he, he was a big fan of uh, Stonehenge, and he decided that he would build a replica of Stonehenge uh, on his property, and which he did. And uh, he... Uh, Years later, I'm like he was a big supporter out here, uh, and participated in performing arts and uh, and donating as members and and, and donating his monies uh, to our organization. But uh, he uh, he passed away, and over the years, uh, his uh, his land was inherited by a nephew, and his nephew had the opportunities to sell the land because he did not need it. And again, these are years, ten or fifteen years had passed. And the owner, the buyer of the new land, had said that they would buy the land, but they did not want uh, Stonehenge. Uh, it was impeding something that they had planned for the land. So that if they would destroy that and you know get rid of it, they would buy the land. So the the nephew was smart enough and knew that that was just kind of a a, a situation that uh, Mr. Shepherd would just did not want to happen. So he came to the Arts Foundation and offered the replica to us. Uh, and for some reason, we decided, well, yeah, we hated to have something like that uh, uh, destroyed. So what we ended up doing was we raised the money to have it moved, and we had it moved onto our campus. And again, we mentioned we had like 13, 14 acres here, and we had it moved onto there, not really knowing why we did this, except as a favor to Mr. Shepard uh, for all the things he'd done to, for our, our organization. 
So, but over the years, and it hasn't been that many years, I'd say about four or five years now, uh, is that it's now it's now become a phenomena again in itself. We're getting more and more people traveling all from all over the place to come and, and view it, specifically even motorcycle uh, 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 groups that will come. And again, on a daily basis, you can just see people coming out here and more and more. We've had people from all over. We, we monitor this now, and we've had people from all over the world. Uh, we've even had the BBC out here. Uh, to do programs. We've had people come and do music videos here uh, for their songs. And I mean, it's just amazing. And in fact, I, I told somebody, I think we're having as many people coming to see the Stonehenge replication uh, as we do our performing arts. I'm not sure that's an actual number, but it certainly seems like we are getting quite a few. So we're, we're very pleased because we get more people on our campus and they too will you know, come in and see the other items and and things that we you know, we offer, you know, uh, in, in, on our campus here. So we're, we're very pleased, and I'm glad that uh, that we made that decision, and uh, it's helped us out tremendously. And everybody else seems to enjoy it. So it is something unusual, and not necessarily part of what the founders had probably thought about, but it certainly has increased our traffic on our campus. So I guess indirectly we are doing what the uh, founders would be pleased with. Sort of an unexpected uh, development, but uh, whatever brings people to your campus and uh, then incorporates and draws them into other things uh, sounds like a good thing. Yes, I totally agree. So, so tell us a little bit about uh, risks, risks to your model and um, – um, going forward, as the environment changes, what kinds of things or risks do you face? Now, certainly you're in a floodplain, and I know occasionally the Guadalupe River floods, and I think you've had some damage in the past. There's also threats from, let's say, the economy tanking and people pulling back in their horns and, and not coming to see plays. And you also have outdoor venues, which may or may not be as popular as they were in the past, uh, and people may be liking to stay like to stay in the air-conditioned indoor venue. But talk a little bit about the risks to your model and and how you address those going forward. Well, I think I, I think almost any any type of a risk that could possibly could happen to us has happened to us, uh, and we have survived. And you well hit a whole lot of them. Uh, like you said, the, the, the beauty of an amphitheater or outdoor theater is just beautiful on a nice day. Uh, you can sit out in the, in, the, in, the, in the air and have fresh air and it, you're under the stars and you see a very nice production and, uh, and that is just a real nice experience. But on the other side of that coin is it could be 90 degrees outside, and it's not, there's no breeze, and you're hot, and, and there's mosquitoes, or the, the bats are flying, and so now you have to compete with that. So, and uh, the other, like you said, risk is the fact that when the economy uh, begins to tighten up, uh, some of the first things that go in people's uh, spending ability is certainly uh, things like entertainment, uh, movie theaters begin to hurt. Uh, Performing arts, visual arts begin to take a take a hit. Restaurants probably take hits. Uh, things that uh, they we all have to overcome. That certainly has taken place uh, at least a couple of times in the last 56 years. 
uh, and we've been able to overcome that in, in several ways. So the, the competition, like you mentioned before, was, a, was another where uh, people would rather stay inside um, a, uh, an air-conditioned uh, uh, area, and uh, I, we understand that too. Uh, than they would be outdoors. So it, luckily, I guess the greatest thing that's happened to us to, to help us survive these type of uh, unintentional inflictions upon our, our business is the fact of people's love for the arts, and both visual arts and the performing arts, uh, the desire to make sure that uh, these do not go away for both themselves and their children and their grandchildren, and there's many a times that people will come up and uh, help keep us in a survival mode uh, while we're waiting for this to uh, uh, subside, and uh, we can get back to our, you know, our normal normal uh, rate of growth, and uh, we go on. And like I say, I've been out here about 30 years uh, in all kinds of different positions of volunteer in both employment, and uh, that, that I can pretty well tell you that anytime we were in problems that we could not solve, there was always somebody that would help us based on the fact that they love the Hill Country Arts Foundation uh, or they love what we do or what we represent, and hopefully that will keep us going for you know many more years to come. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's like any other business, we just have to be flexible. And if we're if, as long as we are, and today and in the future, I think we will you know continue to progress like we have in the years past. Certainly, your long history at the site and uh, the fact that you're still going strong uh, would indicate uh, that you have faced a lot of these things in the past and, and you've overcome them. But let me just talk a minute about the NGO space and the kinds of things that you end up managing generally. Uh, certainly you have your assets that we talked about, your theaters, your buildings, uh, your, your campus. Uh, you've got staff, you've got volunteers, which play a very large part in NGOs. You have your programs. Some of these things you spend money on, some of these things uh, not. Talk a little bit about the benefits that come in this space. You know, certainly when people buy tickets, uh, they're exchanging their money for the chance to have an evening out and, and, a, and a fine experience in the theater. But when volunteers come to a site and participate in classes and in programs, part of the draw there, I think, is sort of the social benefits and the psychological benefits. There's no real money exchanged in many of those uh, programs, and yet they keep coming. The volunteers are still engaged if the experience is, is a social one or, or a beneficial psychological one. Talk to us a little bit about that. It's a very good point. I, it's probably a, a, the answer is why do any of us do anything, and it all kind of comes back to our interest. We certainly all do something to make a living, but we all make a living doing something, but we all also add to that things that we enjoy doing. And that comes into the people that come out here. There are people that really enjoy sewing, and they don't have any intention of making a living, you know, sewing. But they, it's just something they enjoy doing. And so they would come and help make costumes. They might be a nurse at the hospital, and that's how they make a living. Or they could be a they could be a lawyer. They could be anything. But they they just enjoy doing something. And then that perpetuates over to. You know, uh, they, they people that like doing carpentry work. Or, uh, we, we have one gentleman that loves to make little gadgets. They like making props. Uh, they they can they, they can make boxes to do 
weird things, you know, in, in a show, and they, they just that just thrills them to death to do stuff like that. Other people, we have people that enjoy being in a concession stand and and getting to be a little bit of a retail person. And uh, but they'll go back and maybe they're a secretary or there's something that has nothing to do with retail, but they can come out here and they get to participate. But something that there's one little thread that finally fits through all of them is they all enjoy art. And that art might be, again, the visual arts like what we have in our galleries or ceramics or painting, or it may be the performing arts. A lot of people love uh, plays, but they don't want to be on stage. Uh, they're not that type of personality, but they love seeing it. And so, but they want might they want to be backstage to help and just be part of something that they really don't want to be just on the stage. And some people just love to be on stage, and and that those are our actors, uh, and and uh, they they are very very good. The only thing difference between a professional performance and a volunteer performance uh, in quality is that the professional people get paid. And other than that, the quality is exactly the same. It, it just—it's amazing uh, how talented of people we have in our community and probably all communities. Uh, but uh, they do this for the love of what they do. So uh, again, and people come even when they buy a ticket, they come out to be entertained. Whether they go to a movie or they go out to eat or they go to hear a band or or something, they come out here. And as long as the product is good they will continue to buy tickets and come back. And as long as they know the type of uh, product they're about to get, uh, they will come back. They, if they trust you enough to know that this is family-oriented or it's nothing going to offend them, uh, they know that they can buy the ticket even if they don't understand what the uh, play might be about. They, at least they know that it's going to have a certain type of quality uh, that would represent the organization they're coming to. Does that kind of answer the question? Or? Yes, I think so, definitely. Uh, well, thanks very much, David, for being with us today. Uh, what else uh, would you like to have us know about the Hill Country Arts Foundation, and uh, how can we, those uh, that might want to contact or to learn more about the organization, how can they, they find out more? Well, we, as everybody, we, we always push our website. Uh, you can go to HCAF. Well, we lost our connection with David right at the end, but the website he was mentioning is hcaf.com for the Hill Country Arts Foundation in Ingram, Texas. And that about wraps it up for today for the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. Join us next week for another episode where we explore the stories of organizations and their performance. Thanks for coming by.